Welcome to another episode of Let's Get Practical. I'm your host, Monica Lim. Today, I want to celebrate the 10th episode of this podcast. It's been an absolute joy and blast to work on this creative project. 10 doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have ADHD, two kids, 10 other jobs, it means a whole lot to be working on something for over three months. With ADHD, it gets really complicated. My brain has a mind of its own, and sometimes I need to trick my brain to make it want to do the things that I want to do. So today, I wanted to do a solo episode and go back to the title of this podcast. Let's get practical. Reflect on what it means to be practical. As with a lot of things, we give meaning to words. It means many and different things to people. And it really also depends on the makeup of your personality or even your circumstances. Are you single? Are you married? Do you have kids? Practical meant something totally different when I was in college or even two years ago or two months ago. I want to focus on what practical means to me today for this episode. I want to touch upon 10 things that maybe like give you an idea or illustrate how I defined practical today or just like early July. So let's get started. One of the things that is probably like one of the most useful ideas around productivity called mise en place. Mise en place is a French culinary term that translates to everything in its place. Like mise en place is like everything put in place. It's a cooking philosophy, a methodology that professional chefs or even like home cooks employ to streamline their cooking process and ensure efficiency and consistency. So the idea behind mise en place is to just really prepare and organize all the ingredients and tools you need before you start cooking. This includes like, I don't know, chopping vegetables, measuring things, preheating the oven, having the right kitchen tools at hand instead of like somewhere far and stored. The idea is that once the cooking process starts, everything you need is within a very close distance, ready to go and easily accessible. This not only saves time, but also like reduces stress, mistakes in the kitchen. So imagine you're in the middle of cooking, your hands are busy, the heat is high, suddenly you realize you need chopped onions, which you haven't prepared yet. This sort of situation can lead to overcooked things, you know, even burnt food or just like, you know, just being stressed out. Having a mise en place approach can prevent this frantic situation of high stress, bad results. It really allows you to focus on the actual cooking process rather than multitasking and possibly forgetting something important. But in a broader sense, like mise en place can be a metaphor for life as well. It's about being prepared, organized, having a plan, you know, which are essential elements, not only in cooking, but in many aspects of life. So having things that you need, like organized, close by, that's really, really practical. Uh, to give you one example, I used to have one sort of one drawer case, and that was like the extracurricular activities. 
And in there, I had a full set of what my son needed for his soccer practice or what my daughter needed for her swimming class, you know, like goggles, you know, her swimsuit, her bag, her socks, all of that was there in one place. And even though it's not about putting things in categories, but is really putting things together for the purpose for what it is for. So you, you have one full meal ready to go when you need it to be. So my second thing that is kind of like related to Mise en Place is a very a super like kind of like practical, practical. And I will talk about more things that are in the gray kind of like not sure place. But um, the second thing was knowing where, like you can think of signage or things that point to where things need to be or happening. So one very specific example, I recently learned how to know where is the gas input for your ga- for your car. So, you know, just, I mean, it might sound almost like too obvious, but I didn't know that. And I learned this in Kevin Keller's like latest book, Excellent Advice for Living. By the way, an excellent, excellent book. Not too long. It's a very small book. I read it all in one sitting. Um, it has a range of advice that you can use today or just, just keep in the back of your mind, you know, for life in general. And one of them talked about um, in the car control panel, you know, the gas symbol, you know, where it shows you how much gas you have. It has a little arrow pointing to where you are supposed to put the gas. I did not know that. And maybe some of you, like maybe every, probably everybody knows except for me, but I had like moments where I would rent a car and just like guess aside and get off the car at the gas station. And then I have to like turn around and do it again because it's like the wrong side. And sometimes I would have to like go all the way around, you know, the gas station. Um, again, you're, you're losing probably like a minute or so, no big deal. But having this happened to me over and over was actually pretty annoying. And apparently, you know, I just didn't know before reading this book, but you do have a tiny arrow that I found. And in my last trip, I went to Canada. I just came back from holidays with my family in Calgary and I had rented a car and I knew exactly where the gas input was. And that like confidence of knowing exactly where things are, where to go for things, um, gives me peace. And peace of mind is one of the most practical, I think, North Stars for, for me or maybe for a lot of other people. So the third thing, just to um, switch it up a little bit on more like, you know, projects and project management and, and creative life and uh, living as an entrepreneur is this idea of three hearts and eight legs. And this comes from an octopus, okay? So uh, just to give you a little context, um, you know, I've been learning how to just really disconnect or decouple myself from certain activities and projects. And it has been one of the most practical things for me. Instead of me having to do everything just understanding like how I'm doing things and learning how to delegate to people who might be even like, you know, it's just like saving me time or in some cases are even better at that particular task than I could ever be. 
So I heard this episode with, you know, Marquez, better known as MKBHD, um, a tech YouTuber, amazing, you know, creator. In a podcast interview, he was talking about how creators should be like an octopus. And octopus have three hearts and eight legs. So the idea is to figure out what are the things that only you, right, only you can do. Those are like, you know, the three hearts, the three things. And then what are the things that were like the arms that or legs that you could cut off and delegate and have other people do for you? So for instance, I'm the only talent who can be Monica Lim. And well, this is a now who knows what's going to happen in the future with AI. But today, um, I'm the only one who can be Monica. And I'm the only one who can interview people, be on screen. I'm also the only one I feel that that has my particular taste and discernment and decision-making and judgment. This is something that a lot of people do, you know, successfully delegate to others after many, many, I don't know, years of working together. I haven't found that, you know, like solution yet. But I, um, you know, I, I'm the only one who can take this editorial sort of attitude of my work and I can decide what goes, what doesn't, what I like, what I don't like. But at the same time, I'm not the only one who can create show notes for my episodes. Uh, I'm not the only one who can, I don't know, edit a video. In fact, there probably are so many other people who can do this much better than I can. So figuring out what these like three hearts and the eight legs has been super, super practical. And in many times what I'm realizing um, there's this famous quote that, but not not famous, but my father-in-law used to tell me that, you know, when you get a horse, don't walk the horse to where you think it's supposed to go. But, you know, you get a horse and you ride the horse, let the horse lead because the horse might know, might know the, the road better, might know a better shortcut that you may not be aware of. So let the horse be a horse. Let People that you're hiring to to just just you know like have the autonomy and freedom to do what they're best at, and that's one of the things that happened for me at least, uh, super practical. And hopefully, I'll do another episode about like how to hire for help, how to hire contractors. But this idea of like decoupling yourself and learning how to delegate that has been, I think, a superpower. Another thing related to like projects. Um, that I've been learning is the I did list. So we talk a lot about a to-do list where we're supposed to do a task management task list, but I think equally and even more effective has been the I did list. Like the, um, I sort of rebranded this from like a weekly review or a daily review, but my brain, again, like my brain has like its own vocabulary, like it's very sensitive and is very particular about things that I know because I, I mean, there's like research, data, everything. Like I know how useful and life-changing weekly reviews can be, but I just cannot get my, my brain to do it. Like it's just so, um, it's been so hard to be consistent with like weekly reviews and it's just like so daunting. And I feel almost like shame, shame that I haven't done like weekly reviews consistently. But um. One way that I have found to just really like meet myself halfway is um, is to have 
this I did list. I think it's a wonderful way to just really meet myself halfway between like the to-do and the weekly review. It's what did I actually do? So for any specific project, the to-do list can be blurry, a little vague because you you think you're supposed to do something and we always realize that as you dig you know we always say like the one of the most things that takes so long in construction is like basement work you start digging and you find things that were not supposed to be there that you were not expecting so even though you have a to-do list until you start actually doing them you will not know all the branches and the ramifications of you know each task might have like 10 subtasks when you only expected like two or three, right? So the I did list is very crisp, is very specific. Um, so for example, last night, I'm trying to sort of like redo my sub stack and just bring more life to it. And I wrote down, okay, I finished creating the covers for the posts. And that took forever because it was finding like the right images. Okay, I checked the copy. I checked all the titles because they were like all formatted differently. Um, I submitted for copy review. Okay. These are all the things that I did yesterday when my to-do list was probably, okay, update or, you know, like rebrand my Substack, right? So um, I know I talked about recently, um, I talked like just, you know, about working with assistants or contractors. I usually have my assistants create a summary and it's just like a very, um, it's not on like, you know, it's just like a text message with, okay, you know, I'm done. These are the things that I did. And it's just like a bullet point list of things they've done. Um, And why is this helpful? Because I used to have the to-do list for my contractors and I always noticed that there was about 10 to 20% of things that uh, did not get done. So the contractors thought they had completed the task, but about 10 to or, you know, 20% of things were still missing in my perspective. So you could argue that, you know, I need to be more clear about giving directions, um, but it just always happens. So uh, I have tried to spend so much energy to create super, super clear guidelines, but then still sometimes the end result will not be exactly what I want. So what has worked for me is I give direction and because I'm optimizing for speed, 80-20, the directions are probably not 100% clear. Like it, it does cost a lot of time and energy to give uh, like 100% clear directions. And even then I had people not do what I expect them to do. So one solution has been to just have my contractors tell me what they have done. And um, I will either fill the gap or mention what the gap was. So it becomes a training opportunity. And, um, and believe it or not, like I do notice that even like my direction giving has not changed, is the same, like still not perfect, but the gaps start shrinking and people know what they're supposed to do and they know what done looks like. So this happened through just multiple cycles of iteration. Um, but this is the idea of the I did list. And uh, it does, you know, relate to my next thing on the list, which is like words and labels. Um, 
I don't know if it's an ADHD thing. Like, I really don't know if it's like just OCD words, like, uh, but I just did not realize how much words mattered until I started like do, just doing some experiments with words. So one very specific example, so you have an idea what I mean. Um, for projects on Notion, you can identify the project status, right? It could be like not started, in progress, done. I think those are some of like the default sort of like status labels. For me, these labels were, were not providing any critical information. Or maybe like I've seen them so much that my brain was like numb to them. So it did not sort of um, inspire action or set the right expectations for me or even my contractors. So I took this like I, I saw like uh, I think it was a setup or a demonstration or somewhere by Marie Poulin, um, you know, through her class Notion Mastery, which I'm part of. She used this label called needs attention. And Marie Poulin also, she's openly shared that she has ADHD and how she's really just really trying to optimize for her um, like focus allocation and energy allocation. And this label like needs attention. It's like two words, right? They're not special words, but then somehow, somehow, and I, I cannot even explain why, um, these two words automatically connected with me and my brain. And it was a different way of saying, okay, high priority, but it was just more effective. And if you think about it, labels are just a fabrication of meaning. We are adding these like meta tags or meaning that are supposed to convey something. And you just need to play around with words uh, until you find what works for you. For me, needs attention um, just really automatically sets my brain and like in this mind frame of, okay, I need to put this attention. I need to focus on these today. Um, so for me, for example, if we're talking about YouTube videos, it's more effective to say needs thumbnails, needs a script uh, instead of in progress. Needs editing is a label that to me inspires more action. And I think for even like my contractors, they know what they're supposed to do. Um, if you have statements like descriptive statements, like, okay, in progress or, you know, it, it, it might look like more passive, like, okay. Maybe I'm not the, the one that is supposed to do something with it. Um, so yeah, again, I'm, another episode maybe in the future, if you guys are interested, those of you who are listening, on how I sort of work with my contractors, uh, I'll be happy to, to share more. And um, we're using Notion. So how I'm using Notion to do all of this. So when we are, another, an, another example of how words and labels come into play is when we're talking about life-work balance. And by the way, I, I'm not a fan of this word. Like, I just really don't believe that, you know, I don't believe in life-work balance. Um, I think it's like, it's kind of like a multitasking life and work, and it really cannot happen. It's just like, you are lifing or working, uh, and, you know, that's what it is. But I heard this from a workshop that I attended also by Mary Pullen and her Notion Mastery team. This term of like work-life blend. And you know, like it's just like three words, like blend, balance. It's like whatever. It's like almost about the same. But for me and my brain, it was not. 
So words have a life of their own. Uh, I think more so with people who are very like sensitive. Um, and words to me have like a certain texture. Like I'm allergic to certain words. I love certain words. And then uh, it's really about finding the words that work for me. So um, life work blend is to me inspires a lot of optimism. And I can see like the word of mixing, right? Uh, when it's hard to separate work and life. But then we have this idea of, of I don't know, intertwined connection network. It's like all kind of together and finding balance maybe in, 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 that, in that way. Um, that has been great. So this one, the next one is just, I mean, super obvious. Okay, saying no. This is perhaps almost too obvious. And I know in the back of my mind that uh, saying no is the best productivity hack. But I just keep having too many things that I really, really want to do. And it's really hard to say no. So it's not almost like as a people-pleasing type of saying yes, man. But it's more about, oh, my God, that like looks so interesting. Like my brain craves doing that work that I know is over capacity for me. So I am learning that I just keep underestimating the time things take underestimating, you know, energy that will consume from my life. And really after many burnout cycles, uh, and I will pro probably like forever live in the border of a burnout all my life, because like, I just find a lot of things very exciting in my life. Uh, so I realized that we will always, like always underestimate how long and how much a project will take out of us. So the best kind act that I can do to myself is to really take on fewer projects to minimize this margin of error of estimating uh, my capacity and quality of work. So in a way, like, um, it's not about, okay, let's get better at estimating how long this will take. It's like, it, it will, we will like terrible at estimating time and we will always be overwhelmed or I will always be overwhelmed. So in a way... I just feel that um, I'm really embracing this idea of not taking more projects approach. It's like, it's a little bit different from saying no. It is saying no to projects that are interesting to me, but it's just really uh, telling myself, Monica, you can't do this. Like you would be awesome at it. It's a challenging project and you could like shine and thrive, but then you can't do this right now, right? Um, and just because I will like fail to calculate right accurately how long things will take, uh, if I work over capacity, I'm just really borrowing energy from my future self and it's just not going to end well. So saying no, taking on fewer projects, you are really minimizing this error of miscalculating energy allocation. So uh, saying no is also another like super practical things. I'm kind of like losing count, but... I wanted to, I think, for the last maybe like three things, um, just change gears a little bit and talk about things that, I don't know, from the outside, um, it might look impractical, but for me, they have ended up being practical from the inside. So I think many things about practical, I think this even like etymologically, like 
it has to do with the, the, the idea of action, of taking action, something that makes you do something. And no matter, like, you probably hear so many, you know, tips from people like productivity hacks, like, okay, eat the frog first. And, but just none of that works for my ADHD brain. And I think that we just, we just need to accept that uh, we need to find our practical and what is our practical, what does it look like and what will make us uh, do things. So I'm all for just, you know, just try different things and you don't need to try them for, you know, 10 years. You will, you know, you will test things and know, oh, you know, this really works for me and, you know, this doesn't. Even for Notion, like I have not stuck with a tool for this long. And it's not a perfect tool, but I've been using Notion for over three years. And I'm just so amazed at how I've stuck with the same tool for this long when I just keep finding things that are interesting. So you just like, it just works for me. And I really think that I'm just giving you examples of things that work for me. You can go and try them. But you just need to experiment and find what works for you. So one thing is, I really think that, um, you know, people say happier wife, happier family. And I, there's a lot of truth to that. And I mean, like, and, like selfishly speaking, yeah. If I'm happy, I think the house is in a better kind of state and better atmosphere and mood. But the same thing for kids. If you have kids, and you might not have kids, but happier kids, happier family. So. Let me give you one example that happened really recently that really hit home. And um, I did make the right choice in this case, and I was just so proud. So we went to Canada on holidays, and we um, we had rented. Like the trip is like was just so expensive, and it was way over my original budget. But we we're traveling with my sister and her family, so. Not many times you get to travel together, you know, and like a special holiday with your other members of your family. So we rented a car and we had rented a small SUV because that's like all it was available again, like renting things late. Um, and then I thought maybe we could get a bigger car so we can all travel together. And I don't know if that's like practical or impractical. I think getting paying more, right? It cost me like, I don't know, about $250 more. Um, paying more sometimes feels less practical, but I'm learning more and more that um, money well spent can, can give you like so much peace and less stress. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, it ends up being really practical. So we got a bigger car and it was like a, you know, like a van where we can all sit together. And there were two cars. There was one car that was like almost brand new. And of course, mommy driver wants a newer car. Uh, and there was another car, same price, same price, um, the same size, same price, older car. And you could, you know, you could see the, the wear and use. The only difference between the only difference between this new car and this old car was that you could open, you could like, you know, touch a button from the inside and open the doors automatically. 
So my kids were like, "Oh, mom, like no, like we want this car because we've been open the door from the inside. This newer car somehow had the child lock. Okay, the child lock permanently. I don't know, set up. We couldn't like de like we couldn't enable it, disable it. So it was always on. So the kids could not open the door from the inside. So." If you are thinking about like practical, yeah, something that um, you know it's like safer, it's newer, all of those things, you would think, okay, practical, right? Practical, new, safer.、Um, but then the kids would have been miserable for the entire week, just like being reminded of that choice not taken. Of oh, you know, we can't open the door, and the kids, you know, like they're not. They're not five, so、um, the safety measure was really not necessary、uh, for in this instance. And just thinking of my kids, oh, you know, like remembering that car that opened the door. It just did not matter that the car was new. It did not matter. So, in my moment of wisdom, I decided, okay, I don't need the new car. Let's just go with the older car. The kids are happier. And the kids were so happy. They were so happy.、Um, they would take turns to like you know open the door for people, and it was just like a little distraction that made them super happy. And sometimes you know like these things about、um, what looks practical from the outside, what looks like the obvious choice, sometimes may not be right. So like just knowing the difference of what works for your family.、Um, But I'm so glad we got the bigger car, older car, and everybody was super happy. The next thing that I、uh, wanted to share is, so my dentist has this thing called、uh, the dent, the you know pe- pediatric dentist that we go to with my kids. She has this, what she calls treasure tower, and it really is.、Um, You know, one of those things where you put a token and then you get a little, a little gift or a little piece of toy, and usually it's most likely like garbage because, like you know, they are like really cheap little things that、um, that you use for a little bit, and then they usually end up breaking. But at the end of each appointment, they get this token, and it's like treasure tower because you have. Three different options of where to put the token, and then you turn the the little you know you have a little knob, and then you get your gift. And the kids are always so looking forward to that moment of getting the token, and then switching what they want, and then they get their toy. And if you think about it, this is like oh my god! Like you could just give them the toy, right? That'll be like the kind of practical thing. Like oh, you know why? Make this getting the token. You go somewhere to get a token, and then you go somewhere else, and it's not just one gigantic pile. You have three different towers to choose from, where you will, you know, get your toy. And I just, I just just realized that、um, this this idea of not not even a decoy, but it's it's this idea of.、Um, You know, faster, like fewer steps, and optimization.、Uh, we think that is like super practical, but 
my kids, you know, like love that moment so much. It's like their moment of joy. And that sort of whole process is placed at the end of the appointment where like right in front of the, you know, of the cashier where the the parent is like figuring out bills, like paying, and the kids are happy, distracted. Um, so there there is this this sense of attention management and like distraction management that ends up being super practical. So every time I go to a dentist, I'm like marveled at how the kids are like onboarded through this process. And then everybody lives really happy. And for the dentist, you know, probably it's like a a minimal, minimal expense, right? These toys probably are very cheap. You know, you get these tokens. Um, So all of that sort of process, you know, if you look at it from the outside, might be impractical. But I think that for the purpose and what ends up happening, um, super practical. The last thing I want to share is some frameworks that I find super useful. And they say that, you know, our brain um, just spends a lot, consumes a lot of energy trying to make decisions. And um, I don't know for ADHD if it's common, but I struggle with decision fatigue and being indecisive and having a hard time making decisions is really hard. So like every time uh, I find a framework that works that that would help me make decisions. I'm always very welcoming of those. So um, you probably have heard of, you know, hell yeah or no. This is like from Derek Sivers. Uh, if something is like super, super exciting, you will kind of like intuitively say hell yeah. And if it's not, uh, you should not take on that project. Okay, this may not work all the time. Like for me, I feel like there are too many things that I say hell yeah to. Um, so I need to probably like recalibrate my health, yeah, uh, you know, threshold, but that's, you know, one of them that really caught my attention. Wow. This is like a really useful way of, uh, offloading, you know, the energy or delegating that decision-making, uh, task or, you know, like labor to a framework. Another one that I found really helpful is like from Tim Ferriss, which is like, how like what would this look like if it were easy and this is another thing where um just to like evaluate and assess something right is this like is this how it's supposed to be is there any way this could be easier this could be better what would that look like and then try to figure out how to um how to make adjustments right of your present situation to to match a little bit closer to that easier scenario um, we also have, you know, like frameworks like 10, you know, a uh, thousand true fans and there, there, there are many things like that. And one thing that I've done is like, if I find something useful, I, I just, just keep internalizing that. And I think when I need it, it, you know, it pops up and this even idea of recently that I, that I really liked also from Kevin Keller's book, and I've seen it in multiple other areas is like, measuring twice and cutting once and it's just this you know just like so much wisdom contained in that line of um of just really yeah like the the cost of cutting 
And I've done that many times of cutting, of measuring, half measuring once and then cutting and having to cut again or just being really regretful. So yeah, just I, I you know, this has been, um, there are things where, yeah, you should not, you should not think too many times and you should just go for it, like starting messy, just like I did with my podcast. I think I've been talking and thinking about doing a podcast forever. And I'm so glad I just went for it and I started it because it's been um, just such a joy and so fun to to work on this project. So here we go, like all my 10 tips and how I define practical. And hopefully I didn't confuse even more, but really ultimately it's about finding what works for you. Everything else really doesn't matter. You know, you may have like millions and billions of people who think one thing. If it doesn't work for you, forget it. And that's what let's get practical means. Okay. Just really finding what works for you. And I really hope that the people that I bring in on the podcast or even just my own little monologues will just help you gain courage to just try things. Right. Um, I don't know. Like today I had. Um, I had yogurt and somebody told me, you know, like yogurt with a wooden spoon tastes so much better. And, you know, like, why not give it a try? You know, it's just like it costs nothing. And it is true. Like, just try having yogurt with a wooden spoon and it's amazing. So just like, you know, testing things and finding what works for you. Um what works for you is the thing that you will want to do more of. And I think if you're building habits, if you're trying to be productive, trying to figure out what your brain, how your brain works, what works better, how to trick your brain to do things, I think is the best shortcut and productivity tip that you can do. Thank you for listening to the end. Um, one favor that I have to ask is I'm really excited about this podcast and if you have any comments, uh, I'm going to start putting these on my Substack, So you can comment or let me know how you're liking it. Uh, what do you want to listen to in the future? What do you want me to share about how it works? Um, reviews go a super long, long way. If you like this podcast, please, um, I would really appreciate if you left a review and also share with anybody that you might, uh, you might think this might be useful to, to and uh, would really appreciate that. Thank you so much and until the next episode.